0: Hey everybody, welcome to Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast, hosted by Mark Bell, co-hosted by Nseema Eang and myself, Andrew Zaragoza. This episode is recorded on July 23rd, and it is with our new friend, Mike Frank. Uh, Mark met Mike at Saiyan Strength down in uh, Santa Rosa. You know, Mark goes on his uh, his trips down in Bodega Bay. His his home gym during that time is uh, out at Saiyan Strength, and he just happened to spot Mike training, and in very much Mark Bell fashion, he befriended him. Next thing you know, he knows his whole story and he's on our podcast. And what an amazing story! Which I will not spoil right now during this intro because you guys need to hear it from Mike himself. The way he explains everything in detail is huge. And I mean, just the way this man speaks, it's amazing. Like, you know, we've gotten perspective from active police officers on the podcast recently. Today, we get perspective from a retired police officer. And so, although some of his views and opinions do go in line with what we've heard recently on the podcast, Mike is able to kind of just bring a different dimension to the whole conversation. And, you know, you can just tell the way this man speaks. He comes straight from the heart. Um, I really think you guys are going to love this episode. Again, it's more perspective. And, yeah, he just adds a whole nother layer. He's on HNL, and uh, also, he has an invention that we talk about briefly on the podcast. Please check the, the, uh, the podcast show notes for links and um and just more information about what uh he talks about um on the podcast but that's it for me so without further ado ladies and gentlemen please enjoy this episode with our friend
1: officer mike frank how'd you like that bar i loved it that was awesome that bar is pretty cool right the face good is, on right? my shoulder felt good on the shoulder Let's we'll take the Cadillac bar right oh I thought you
2: were talking about faces again oh yeah yeah that place
3: uh. <laughs> that place was tight
0: ah uh, no <laughs>
3: there's nothing wrong with faces <laughs> no. I'm gonna have to swing by there later <laughs> mm-hmm. swing it swing it by
2: swing it
0: <laughs> But yeah we're good to
2: go all right yeah so uh just got done with a little training session hit up some a uh, little bit of bench pressing training with uh, my boy mike over here did some uh cadillac bar benching but anyway uh i ran into mike um yeah. going to uh saying strength freaking awesome gym like that's t- that's a craziest gym one of the best <laughs> i love that place i've ever been to i've never seen anything quite like that and they for some reason keep it under wraps i'm not sure why but you walk in there and you're just like oh my god they have every amazing piece of equipment that you could possibly imagine i mean how many
1: barbells do they even have there it's they've got a whole row it's pretty incredible it, you get that charlie and the chocolate factory effect as soon as you walk in it's you out from the outside you can't believe it, it doesn't look like much and you walk inside and all of a sudden boom 30 foot ceilings and Machines as far as you can see And probably close to 50 different barbells That's insane
2: Mike is the is the guy that you see at the gym The older guy that you see at the gym that, that mentors everybody That takes like a half an hour 45 minutes in between all of his sets And that's how that's how I got talking to him I, I, I kind of I saw him at the gym And he was training and stuff like that And uh, we just got chatting And you, you followed uh, You've seen Bigger Stronger Faster And so awesome. we got some conversation about that And then you told me you're a police officer And you shared some really cool stories about that And so I thought Hey it would be great to to have somebody on that's a a family man a, a former police officer you have some cool stories kind of tied into all that and somebody that's just out there training every day trying to stay in shape and trying to stay jacked trying to stay tan just like the rest of us
1: absolutely i mean it was it was an incredible experience i mean bigger stronger faster definitely resonated it hit really hard i loved that movie and then to see you walk into sand strength one day and walk right by and you smiled and I'm like, that's, that's Mark Bell from, from Bigger, Stronger, Faster. And it was pretty cool. And then um, you made the time to say hello, and, um, that, you know, you were humble, and you went on, and you wa- I was watching you lift, and I'm like, dang, the guy is strong. And so afterwards, and then I, um, you did a seminar there, and um, you, I mean, everything you said resonated. I mean, there was your family man and where your you know, your background, and um, it was interesting, and I had a lot of fun. You know, being there and asking you a couple questions. And then, you know, I saw you a couple times more and you're in there. And it was, I figured, you know, I'm going to go up. I'm going to strike up a conversation with you. Do you have
2: uh, six children, I think you said? Six
1: kids. Wow. Damn, yeah. dude, how
2: do we avoid that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah, I wish I could figure that out.
2: <laughs> that sounds like a lot, man. How, what's the age range on that?
1: So my youngest is 11. So I've got 11, 17, 18, 21, 23, and Damn. 25. Damn! So wow, yeah, there was wow. a span. There it was like every. You deserve like an award for that. Yeah, my wife, hey, my <laughs> wife does. <that>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, how long were you police officer for? Um, Twenty years. Uh, Twenty years with the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty interesting journey. I mean, definitely. Um, I, you know, my goal was to do thirty years, and that was always something that you know when you're, everything you do, you, you start off with a job. You're. I, th- I think everyone starts it with, you know, hey, I want to change, I want to help, you know, help people, and it was a great profession. I was an athlete prior to that. I went mm-hmm. to um, the j- Santa of junior college, um, played a little bit of football, and oh, realized, cool. hey, you know what, you have, you have some talent, but you're not, you know, Division One talent, so mm-hmm. you better start looking for something. And law enforcement, I had a good background. Um, saw there was a uh, testing process coming up, like I'm going to go for that and give it a shot. So it was interesting. Yeah, how, how did how did you start? Like, uh, what was the kind of thought process that got you into it? You no, know, what really started for me was I, I. Again, I love sports. I had aspirations. When you're younger, you're thinking, man, I'm going to play in the NFL or I'm going to play in you know the major league baseball. Yeah, we all are, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so then, when you realize it's like you know, there are some incredible athletes out there, and you're just not that at that level. And it's a realization, and then at that point, I'm like, okay, well, career-wise, what do you want to do? Wrench on cars? Do you want to do something honorable? And for me, was I saw law enforcement as, you know, a profession. I'm like, you know what, you can help people. Um, and to be honest with you, like as as a younger younger person, um, everybody's experienced. I think when you're younger and you're small, bullying. And for me, it was like, okay, now you know what? I'm a little bit bigger guy now. I'm six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, and I could represent the little guy. And it was nice. It was like, I can go out there and make a change, um, come across people, help people, people who are less fortunate, who need somebody to, you know, look out for them. And so I I went ahead and applied for it, went to the police academy. It was, it was actually, um, it was a great experience. You seem like a really reasonable guy
2: and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you on the show and 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 get in this come conversation with you because I think uh you know in today's age of of what's been going on you know over the years really and uh what's been highlighted more recently um it just seems chaotic you know and it seems like it's um a lot of people are against the police a lot of people are you know anti-police a lot of people are in favor of defund- defunding, defunding the police and things like that and i don't i don't know how you were you know in your career i wasn't there but i just from talking to you i'm assuming that uh you were the kind of person that would want to
1: communicate as much as possible until that was no longer an option absolutely and, and you know in this opportunity that you're giving me right here and I'm, I can give people from the law enforcement perspective. I'd say 99% of the guys that I worked with all have a great heart, family men, want to go out there and make a difference, a uh, positive difference. I mean, you see a lot of us, we actually, um, in our spare time, we coach kids in basketball, coach kids in football, the police athletic leagues that we're involved in with football for youth leagues. I mean, we spend what little time we have after work helping the youth. A lot of that doesn't get put out there, you know, right now and. Um, I want to say not for good reason, but unfortunately, there are some knuckleheads wearing that badge. They shouldn't be wearing that badge, and I think if more law enforcement took an attitude like, let's look at everybody's perspective. You know what? It's not us against them. You see, there's a um, you see logos, the blue line logo. I, I, I'm not a big fan of drawing a line in there. There shouldn't be that line should be erased. Should be no not against the blue line thing, but why is there a line in the sand, so to speak? You know why can't we as a community get together have sit downs and figure out how can we do our job better you know what i mean to to not have that have the negative feelings that we're experiencing right now and it's unfortunate there are a few knuckleheads that are out there that are ruining it for the you know the majority you know i'm curious because you mentioned that uh i don't know if you you you
3: meant it that way but you said that when you started the job you started to help people, did that at all, like, did the feeling of what you were doing change throughout your career, or was that, like, the main sentiment that you had throughout, and you felt that way the whole time you were working for 20 years?
1: That's a great question, and um, I'll be honest with you, probably halfway, let's say maybe halfway through, you're handling... On, say on a daily basis, 10 to 15 calls of service. So you're getting dispatched to certain calls, and after a while, it starts to wear on you. Hmm. And if you don't have an avenue to get rid of that stress, um, it starts to build up and it can spill over into your family life, it can spill over into your work life. Um, and I think for me, finding the gym was a great outlet, you know, to get rid of that stress. So I could maintain that mindset like what you were saying it's like hey don't forget why you're wearing that that badge you know protect and serve i mean that that means a lot it meant a lot to me um and can you get callous can you get you know i don't say complacent but can you get to the point to where you know um how can i put it you lose your focus you lose your way and then where you can become disgruntled and you're like man this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't, this isn't, you know, after 10 years in, this is a lot different than that bright-eyed, you know, academy. I'm going to help everybody, yeah. Right. So things changed. It, it, and it did change for me. But I'd have to say having kids and having kids and coaching with kids and um, talking to my wife and working out and meeting people, um, you can kind of reset. You have to reset yourself. You have to actually go back and say, you know what, why did you take this job? And if you don't like this job, you better get out. But a lot of people feel trapped and a lot of officers feel trapped. Having kids is a huge change, you know, I think, because you'll hear
2: about, you know, your kid goes to school and then so-and-so is a problem in the classroom. And your kid kind of reports to you, like, you know, say, yeah, how was school? Like when they're young, when they're older, they don't talk to you much. Mm -hmm. But when they're young, they tell you, like, oh, you know, this guy, you know, is doing this to other kids on the playground or whatever. And that's when you sometimes have to explain to them and you have to, not that you're trying to make an excuse for that particular child. And you don't know what they're going through, but just say, you know, a lot of times I had to tell my kids that kids home. There's something's probably wrong at home, and that's why that kid is, you know, throwing the football as hard as he can at other kids' head or whatever. Whatever the thing is, you know, whatever this this thing is. So I think it gives you perspective into ah, like everyone's home life is not that you don't know that already. But it gives you a little bit more perspective into everyone's home life is just way different. And even when your home life is good, you got some people that just, uh, whatever reason, are lashing out. They have, uh, maybe they're just being like neglected. Maybe their home life isn't that bad, but they're just, their parents aren't able to be there uh, as much as they'd like or something
1: like that. hundred percent. And what you just said about perspective. And it's like, you don't know what that person is going through. You know what I mean? And you're coming across this person... They see the badge. A lot of people, when you pull people over and you can see them shaking, and I'm thinking, I'm just pulling you over you know
2: i you know. i get i get really nervous i don't know why i don't i would never had anything crazy happen i mean well you know i did see my oldest brother get arrested a bunch and i've seen him uh you know like get arrested pretty forcefully and stuff so i guess i do have some but you know he he made a lot of bad choices i you know so i just i kind of know now like if i just kind of
1: do what i'm told that there shouldn't be a problem but not everybody feels that way no no. And sometimes that's when things go sideways, you know, and, I'll, and I could tell you when I used to start my shift, um, I'd open up my locker, I'd put my vest on, I'd have a picture of my family right there in the locker room. And I knew what I was doing. I said, like, okay, I'm going to come home tonight, see my kids. I'm going to go out, try and make a difference in my community. I'm um, keep the community safe, try and get the knuckleheads off the street that some of there's some monsters walking around out there. A lot of people don't realize that. But if you think about who's being housed in San Quentin, some of these scary, we're talking, you know, from murder to, you know, you know, hurting kids and, you know, the the pedophile things and so forth. And when we, when we hit out that street, you know, we want to make a difference. We want to make a positive impact. We don't go out. I I mean, I can speak for myself, but some of the guys who I worked with, you want to go out there and make a positive impact on the community. And it's, I'd have to say 99% of the guys that I, I work with, um, feel that way it's unfortunate there is one percent and i mean i i wish there was a way to get rid of that one percent because they make it so difficult for the rest of us to you know do the job and i've heard other people say hey why don't you you know tell on them get them get him out of the department and that's you know what i mean it's it's a great thing but in reality you might need that person backing you up on a call and the last thing you that that I want is somebody because I've actually had it happen to me, you know, not back me up on a call, you know, and, and, I, and I don't go home. Hmm. So it's a difficult. I mean, it's not it's not an easiest hey, going in and you know telling the captain or the sheriff we need to get rid of this. It'd guy. also be tough if the person that you're talking
2: about was like overly aggressive. You know, you saw that a couple times, but you don't really know what they walked into or walked in on. And I'm sure they're going to justify and, and kind of lie to you. right? Say, oh, they were doing this. They were doing that. And you don't really, you know, you don't really know. A, and I was, you don't want to like out somebody, you know. It's a tough right? position yeah, that yard. you're in.
1: But I think right now in today's climate and the way it is, you almost have to take that step. Yeah, you, I, I think other law enforcement at this point, if you don't want your job to be that difficult like to work where, where it is right now where there's a target on you then you need to pull that guy aside and say hey you're making it hard on all of us knock it off no i don't think enough of that goes along and there's reason for it but i think now that a lot of the older guys are retiring out and you have a new breed coming in some of the guys that you saw at the gym who i train with and Giving them some perspective and saying, hey, let's make a difference. Let's get our department to a point to where you can go up to someone and say, hey, I don't know what's going on in your personal life, but it's carrying over, spilling over on the street. Let's not do that because you're going to make it hard on everybody. You know, you make a mistake out there and it could cost someone's life. And we don't, I mean, that's, trust me, that's not why you go through all those. The hiring process is long. It's about a year long to get hired. Hmm. And then, I mean, they go even on. Even back when you uh it was almost a year. 30 years ago or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And what they did was they went all the way back to my grade school. They talked to some grade school teachers. They talked to your neighbors. Everywhere you've lived, they talked to your neighbors. They want to know what type of person you were. So how some of these guys fall through the cracks is it's kind of scary because, I mean, they actually do a thorough background. You have to take a polygraph test. You do a psychological exam. Well, I agree with you right there that it is scary because that would kind of imply
2: that the people that are hiring are allowing that to fall through the crack. You know, they're like, ah, that's not that bad. That's not. And and, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, they they need to be audited and
1: check themselves kind of. So then it it gets to be a difficult situation. Yes, I agree with you. I think it's something that it's not an easy process. Some people do slip through the cracks and then once you're in, it's difficult to get rid of somebody. Hmm. I mean, the peer pressure is good. I mean, we had, You know, a lot of a lot of law enforcement agencies, they they click up and you have I mean, not that, you know, you want to talk about Oakland PD. I mean, Oakland PD has a black police Officers association, a Latinos police officer's association. And it's it's kind of why is there so many separate associations? It's like, why isn't there just one police officer association? You guys are carrying a badge. You're there to protect and serve. And I don't want to sound like I'm bashing law enforcement. It's not. I mean, it gave me gave me the house, you know, that I have right now. It afforded me, um, you know, the opportunity to coach my kids and, and have a profession that I felt at the time was, you know, hey, this is an honorable profession. So, I mean, I like it, but there definitely needs to be some changes and hopefully some, you know, quickly.
0: Is there anything in place for, you know, the uh, – the- the police officer that has been in you know service for like over 10 years and they can see like okay his morale is kind of going down a little bit is there any like anything in place or any protocols to help try to like bring morale of somebody back up or is it just like hey this is what you signed up for suck it
1: up it's a little of the latter unfortunately it is and that's Mm -hmm. something that you're as a i was a field training officer defensive tactics instructor and um, I'm out on the street, you know, 10 hours a day and you're handling your calls for service. You're focused on what you're doing. And, and when you have, you you have a call for service that you might need a, an assistance with, sometimes you're praying that a certain person doesn't show up to that call. And that's a bad feeling. If you're like, you know, this, this person's going to escalate this call, hmm. you know, and you're like, oh man, you cancel, cancel that assistance. I don't know. I'll handle it myself. And so, um. But as far as monitoring people, um, morale, that's the a, a frontline supervisor would be the sergeant. And he's handling, you know, when you sit in these briefings, you see some of these police shows, cops, and so forth. They're standing behind a desk and they've got 20 people in there that they're speaking to. And um, it's. I have to say a lot of them know their people who who you're working with because you're doing this for years. And you can read people. And, you know, we've all been to schools. Like I went to the interview interrogation school that I was telling you about. And you learn about neurolinguistics. You should be able to pick up on, you know, the people who you're supervising. Like, mm, you know, are you having a rough time? Maybe, maybe bring some people in and say, hey, what's going on? You know, check on. You, you should be able to read that. Mm-hmm. And then. You know, as far as the administrators above those, like lieutenants and captains, a lot of them are shuffling papers and dealing with complaints, you know, so mm-hmm. forth. But it it really falls on that sergeant.
0: So there's no like um, I don't want to say li- liaison, but like sort of like a uh, like in like in the NBA has a players' association. They have somebody that the players can go to to speak to, you know, management and whatnot. Is there anything even close to that, or is it just you just talk to your superiors? And-
1: you know, that's actually a, a pretty good point you just brought up. Um, there are police officer associations like the department I work for, the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office has an, an officer association and they have a president and um, mm-hmm. there's officers in between and you can actually go and talk to them. And I I think it comes down to self-evaluation. Each officer Sometimes you get caught up in it, and, I, and I'm going to say I'm guilty of it, too. You'll be doing the job, and you're trying to make ends meet. You're trying to keep everybody happy. You're worried about what if someone says something, and, you know, you're really, at this point, you're just like, hey, I want to just, you know, go out and do my job, be left alone. Um, and then you get caught in this run, and you're doing it and doing it and doing mm-hmm. it. And then at some point, it'd be nice to just say, hey, how's it going? How are things going? How's stuff with, going on with your family? You know, something up like that. Just a checkup, like a little checkup to say, hey, how are things going on? Um, you know, how's the job treating you? Is there something that we can do maybe a little bit different? You know, we're hearing, and, and, but unfortunately, there's not. You know, your police officer associations, they usually help you with complaints. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone's mm-hmm. complaining, you have to go to them and you ask for it. Like, say, hey, this is what's going on. So, but, I mean, that's... Uh, And it's a position where you're actually carrying a gun. You can make you're making life and death decisions. I think it's that important. If you're going to have, you're going to issue someone that firearm, and you go through the screening process, and you give them this great training at the academy, and you're learning on the fly. Like you learn a lot. I can tell you when I first when I got in that patrol car, I was off the training program. It was my first day out there. It's scary. It's pretty scary. I mean, I'm six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, and I can. I'm like, this is kind of scary. I'm out here by myself. I have a firearm. I might have to actually use it, and that's you know. in my head, I'm like, man, I hope that situation never comes about. But you, you almost wonder, like, man, are you ready for this? <laughs> are you are you ready to go out there and take that car and take on that responsibility? So it's it's a lot, but. You know i think there could be i don't want to say more training but maybe more some evaluation like where where people come in and guys can come in and maybe have a briefing or and, and say hey you know this is just between us in here you know these are what we're no this is what we're no, almost like an intervention kind of you know what i mean bring a guy in and kind of have an intervention and police ourselves because if they don't want that like if these officers don't want to do that well guess what now look what's happening Cause not to, I mean, I'll bring I'll bring it up because you know it's the, you know, elephant in the room, Chauvin, the guy in Minnesota who you know mm-hmm. the the incident that happened with George Floyd, a lot of law enforcement doesn't want to talk about that. A lot of guys, ninety nine percent of us, ninety nine point nine percent of us, when that happened, all of a sudden, "Oh my God, what a uh, that guy is an idiot," and everybody was against that. All the guys that I worked with, everybody was hundred percent. What he did was wrong. I was a defensive tactics instructor, and I took pride in my job, and we didn't teach that. You know, we we, we don't teach that. Once those handcuffs are on, and he's saying that, hey, I can't breathe, you know what? Sit him up. Sit that man up, you know, trying to fuse the situation. Why are you making it worse? And it's almost as if, are you telling me that's the first time that Chauvin ever did that? And again, this is kind of like, I am sound like I'm coming down on law enforcement, but you know, the situation that we're in at this point, you got to do some self-reflection and decide, you know, I don't want this ever to happen again. I want, I want it to go back to where people respected law enforcement, that people don't fear us when we show up. You know what I mean? Oh, here's Mike. He's the community officer. I, mean, I I know Mike. You know what I mean? He's a good guy. He's a good dude. So that's what you want. But when you see stuff that what he did, that that wasn't his first incident. You know, and, and I don't have... The crystal ball to say like why didn't they do this but if i did it'd be like hey having a little intervention picking guys off the street who might be struggling and just saying circle and say hey man things are looking a little bit you know out there maybe out of control can we what's going on and if you take defense to that between when everyone's saying it now you now you know there's a problem because you really shouldn't because if everybody's coming in and saying You know, you circle and you trust your brothers in law enforcement, you know what I mean? So I think that would be, you know, that's one way to to approach it.
3: I was having a conversation with a few friends the other day and um, quite a few of them are in favor of defunding the police. They're very anti-police, right? And I was kind of, you know, I was just trying to explain them because we had a few cops on and they were talking about like yourself, the stress of the job. But um, a few of them got on the rant that like, you know, cops, mostly, mostly every day it's busy work and it's rare that they have these really bad situations where um, they'll have to pull a gun, etc. And you're, you're talking to me about this and you're saying that it's every day something even though you're on the phone sometimes and you're out there's usually something that just kind of degrades at you and, and and kind of erodes at what you do is that an everyday thing or is it something that happens I, I know like it could range but is it is that an everyday
1: thing for a lot of cops what you're talking about with us? or is it
2: more like once a week or something like that
1: yeah uh, you know I, I think a lot of it depends on the agency that you work for some departments are a lot you know have a lot more stress mm-hmm. um, the, the sheriff's office where I live, not, not, not too bad. There was definitely things that happened. I mean, we've had a lot of, a lot of history at that agency. Unfortunately, we've lost officers. Yeah. Um, but yes, you're, 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 right. It starts to peel away. You know, you you come in at this with this bright eyed. You know, you have this mantra that you're going to go out there and make a difference, and pretty soon it starts to erode. And then you know, by year ten, I mean that was a you know good call. And it's like stuff like that. It starts peeling away more and more, and you become more callous. You know, and, and unfortunately, I mean, that job can do that. And it's, I don't want it to sound like an excuse. It's a reality, you know, and for the people that are saying, you know, defund the police. Uh, what I would suggest is and this isn't me being a smart, you know, smart aleck um, is I would say. Let me arrange a tour of San Quentin for you. Let me arrange a tour. If you go through San Quentin for a couple hours, you walk through there. If you still feel that way after touring through that that facility and then then talk to me let's we'll have a conversation after that because there's a lot of good people like I, I look at mark is is a really really good guy he's on the spectrum of we're really really good nice guy you know he'd he'd help someone in need right and then but there's always the opposite end of that spectrum right yeah the whole realm yeah, super nice people. Like one of my favorite people in the world. Work done is one of my favorite people. I mean, I don't know. If a lot of people don't know his story, but and without going into that, he's up here. I hold that guy to the highest regard. But on the other end, then you have like the Jeffrey Epstein's, and there's some monsters that walk around out there. And a lot of those monsters that people don't see every day, they're housed in San Quentin. How do you think they got there? You know what I mean? Social workers didn't put them in there. Hmm. You know, who's keeping these, you know, the, the murderers are seeing that we see. And, you know, one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was show up at a traffic, a traffic scene where there was a fatality. And I had to go and part of my job as, the, as a sheriff's deputy was we had to go notify next to Ken. And I was like, I open up his wallet. I'm already feeling miserable. I and I see just married, you know, baby in the picture. Now I have to go knock on her door. And tell her that she lost her husband in a traffic accident, and I carry that. I've carried that with me for 30 years, and I remember her and breaking down, and I had to hold her, you know, and holding, holding her because she just, you know, had a really difficult time with it. There's a lot of good that we do. I mean, the it seems to me like, and rightfully so, the bad incidents they get magnified, mm-hmm. and 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 they should be. They should be. And those knuckleheads need to be weeded out of that. I wish there was a way. I wish I could wave a wand or figure out a way. I mean, I'm a bright guy, but I'm not, you know, super Elon Musk, bright, You know, but figure out a way to get rid of, you know, these, these, we, these guys out so that profession could, you know, go back to being a honorable profession and people. And basically it is an honorable profession, but have people have that perspective, the public, you know, regain their faith.
2: What do you think some of the answers are? Do you think some of the answers might be to, um, maybe just recruit better from, from the beginning, you know, from the jump? Like, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they get into law enforcement for particular reasons, but, uh, we don't know why. We don't know their history, but maybe if, if we, maybe if we pursue somebody who we already kind of view as heading down the right path, and maybe say hey do you ever think about becoming a because pl- i know that you do that to people at the at the gym right but do you think that something like that might be i mean there's not like one answer to this thing right but do you think something like that might be you know of benefit
1: uh, i do and that's why i do that um i see a lot of the young guys um at the gym who are fit who have um through talking um you met taylor from at the, at the gym young Roner park police officer and you know, we try to mentor these young guys and, and steer some guys into law enforcement who have their act together and have a good head on their shoulders. and They're already it. strong. They already got some goals. I mean, you can't say yes. it's, gonna, it's a good person
2: just from seeing them at the gym, but you no, but get the idea them. that, yeah, and you also get the idea that they are
1: dedicated to something and they yes. kind of get some of the overall picture. Well, and to be honest with you, a lot of them come to me. They know that what I've been through, they know that I went through the shooting incident. They know that I was a defensive tactic instructor. They see that I'm 55 years old and I'm still hitting it in the gym as hard as I can. And they come over and, and they ask me. And when they do, I'm more than happy to share with them. Um, as far as having answers for that, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Mark. Um, I think that's a great it's a great question. And I think you know some people de- definitely need to get together. I think you need to have community leaders meet with law enforcement leaders, get together and hammer it out fast because right now it's not, I don't, I don't see it getting better and you know, they need to do that. They need to, you need to have community leaders and you get with um, some, you know, the sheriffs and police chiefs. And this can probably kind of sound kind of mean, but the phasing out the older guys and getting these younger guys in is going to definitely help. I mean, and that's, you, I'm going to have the old guard probably mm-hmm. going to be. You know, yeah, and some this people thing. might say, "Well, well now we're you taking take by that? you're taking experience off the street." right? Yeah. you are taking some of you are, and and that is valuable because having guys, and like I said, I get to pass on my experience. But they might be able to make the call from a desk rather than being on the street, right? Or or make them instructors, maybe get them off the street, and like what you were you were pointing to, so alluding to is that sometimes when you've experienced so much, maybe it's your time to step back off off the street you know maybe you can do a desk job or an instructor's job at the police academy and kind of go over things and uh that interaction with the community is no longer one where it's you, you see each other at a eye to eye level sometimes i think some law enforcement come in and they, they think they're in this level and the public's here it no it should be like right here
2: What are are maybe a few things that you don't think police should be involved in at all? Do you have anything where you're just like, man, I hated doing that. And it always just kind of like it took a lot of time from me and it was aggravating and it wasn't beneficial to anybody. It just kind of was annoying Um, or or difficult. Like you said, you know, reporting to the person, you know, that their husband died and stuff like that.
1: Marijuana. Um, was at the this is we're talking about when i this is prior to two, prop two hundred and fifteen coming in and being legalized that to me was a great waste of time and this is my own personal perspective and I'll, i 'll i mean obviously i 'm retired i can 't get in trouble for it <laughs> hopefully not but um i, I didn 't have time for for marijuana i just I felt like you know what there, guys who you know and Joe Rogan can probably attest to this you you, you, you smoke some weed and you sit on the couch and and, and and you chill out. How many guys, you know, I, I, I've i never come across guys who, you know, are out there wanting to fight, you know, methamphetamine, different story, you know what I mean? PCP, different story. But when you're talking about, you know, mushrooms or marijuana, I felt like that's such a, there's so much money poured into, um you know, marijuana, you know, take, trying to get marijuana off the street. And I was just like, man, why are you doing that? It's just it's kind of stupid and a and a lot of guys who i worked with felt that way mm. i i get where you know oh it's on the books so it's illegal and you got to enforce it but as far as i took discretionary measures so i was like no nah, i'm not <laughs> I, i'd pull somebody over and if you had a, a back of weed i'm like dude you know i don't have time for it. i get out of here because mm. then i'm now i'm tied up for a few hours i can't help somebody because of what from marijuana so that was my own personal perspective. So that was something. I mean, the other drugs What about
2: what about other drugs like um you know, uh, like um what I guess like what do you think would happen if we were just like fuck
1: it, like fuck like just screw screw it just like let drugs just let them go. Well, there's that's a good question, but I can tell you from first-hand experience with with methamphetamine, methamphetamine is a, it's a, it's a horrible drug. I mean, there was something that there was a Rick James part where he was with Rick James with yeah. uh, Dave Chappelle. I Man, that's a hell of a drug. <laughs> I mean, he's talking about cocaine, it's a hell of a drug. Uh, that sits in my brain and it just cracks me up because I think about it. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yes it is. You know, people do some crazy stuff on methamphetamine and cocaine. But I think the one aspect that people aspect that they don't see is it takes a lot of chemicals to make methamphetamine. And when I worked with the task force the drug enforcement agencies and you know bureau of narcotic bureau of narcotics enforcement and our own, our own task force and you take down a, a super lab and you see all the chemicals that are dumped and dumped by w- where you live, I mean out, out in Bodega Bay, out in the side, out in the out out where you would never expect it, and there'd be a super lab, and they just would be dumping all these chemicals on the side of the road. And it's a it's, I mean it's a hazardous situation. Here comes dumb, you know, dumb Mike coming up, driving up, and seeing all these chemicals. And I walk up there, and there's fumes coming up there, and I shouldn't even be 100 yards next to this thing. This is this is a crazy. This is a hazmat situation. You have to stop, get back, call hazmat. So as far as that, you know, it's 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 not good. I mean, I mean, people making methamphetamine, you can spend $500, you know, this is back in the day when you can buy, you know, Sudafed over the counter when it wasn't controlled. <laughs> $500 worth of Sudafed and some chemicals you can get from Walmart mm. and you can make, you know, $50,000, $100,000 worth of methamphetamine. So, you know, of course, people were going to do that. Start but a business. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breaking bad. That's right. Breaking bad. Yeah. I wanted to know,
3: um, because I have a group of friends that like we, Andrew knows about this. Mark knows about this. We got a group of people and we were all talking about our um, experiences with police. Right. And a majority, if not all of the black men in the room, a lot of them professionals, business owners, um, good guys generally. They've literally all had bad experiences with the police. That was just, just seemed kind of unjust, you know. So I, I'm wondering, do you know if there's a if there's a sentiment in terms of police, in terms of like ah, like dealing with if when they go and deal with black individuals, are they? do you feel that some of them are a little bit more scared to go into those communities and, and deal with individuals like that or do they I mean I know it sounds it's kind of a weird question but when so many people are saying like damn like I have such bad experiences and all the white guys in the room are like oh I've never had a bad experience with the police in my life it's just like uh, it seems kind of weird
1: that perspective know? that you have is something that I can never experience see that's I mean that's what my skin I mean I'm, I'm tanned I'm you know, have that <laughs> jacked in 10, <laughs> but on a ser- the serious side of it is I, I could never experience that. I mean, I can try and put myself in your shoes and, and try to understand what that must feel like as far as having, you know, you're, you're pulling me over because of the color of my skin or you're, or why are you doing this? Because of the color of my skin and that's to me, it makes me sick. It makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, I'll be honest with you. And it's, I think, as far as being intimidated, I think there is an intimidation factor. And, and I could say, uh, again, I'm not a small guy, but I can picture someone who's, you know, maybe 5'8", 5'9", 150 pounds. And maybe they have a pit bull, pit bull you know, attitude. Maybe they don't. But if you're, you're in a situation where you are dealing with someone like that, I, hell yeah, I bet you're intimidated. Mm. You know, so and that's something. Um, You'd probably be more intimidated with... The more unfamiliar you are with
2: the way somebody looks, somebody with a tattoo on their neck, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. At all. I mean, not at all, but right. But a lot of times on the news or TV, like you see, you, you know, right? It's it's the eyes, it's,
1: yeah. the, it's visualization, it's what we see. And it's like you brought up a great thing with the tattoos. Um, I would see someone with tattoos and I would immediately look to see if they had gang affiliated tattoos. Immediately, my brain goes to law enforcement, and and even to this day, I'll look for the see if there's a gang affiliation.
2: I almost always assume if someone's covered in tattoos that they had something they got they had something happen that's traumatic in their life, and that's like my own like I I made that up. Like that's there's I don't have any evidence of that. I don't have you know. But sometimes when you do see somebody covered in tattoos, they have a history of drugs or they have. But it's not all the time.
1: No, hundred percent. No, hundred percent. No. But I'm just telling you that switch gets flipped for us. And um, I can give you my perspective and I can kind of, I don't want to go too far out on, on, on a limb and speak for other people. But I have seen it firsthand mm-hmm. that for some people, that badge does make them six foot four and 250 pounds. And they're, they're not. And, it's, it, and that's scary. And it's like that. So when you hear something like, take that badge off or whatever, it's like, well, that's where that's coming from. Because you wouldn't talk to that, you wouldn't talk to me that way if you weren't wearing that. So, from my perspective, is whenever I dealt with someone, I always, I came from that area. It's like, I'm gonna talk to you the way, you know, that you, you know, I want to be talked to by law enforcement. Just because I'm wearing this uniform doesn't mean that I'm, you know, any different than you. I'm, I'm, Mike the citizen. I'm gonna go out there. I'm doing a job, and I'm gonna talk to you the way we're talking right now, and de-escalate things. Sometimes though i mean we we can do that and if it starts to rise up mm-hmm. well that's when you know i have to start thinking okay why is this escalating and you, and that has to happen quickly because i want to go home to my kids you know just like you you know you want to go home to your family or you want to go home to your spouse and that's something that we trying to de-escalate things without going i think a lot of it has to do with attitude and, and the personalities and i think if there is a way to come, kind of circling back to what you were saying, if there is a way to weed out that personality that the person can't come from, you almost want like a Labrador type person where they're just, you know, what I mean, kind of mellow. You know, when you need them, to, when you need them to be protective, a sheepdog type thing. Where yeah. you know what I mean. But most part, you know, real chill, kind of handle your business and not have that. But not come from that. Not come from a, you know, the. Perspective of where you're always on. Can I ask you a,
3: a question about de-escalation? Um, for example, I've been pulled over a few times, and immediately, like, I turn off my music, I put my hands on like my my hood, I put my key out, I put my wallet out, my windows down. I'm my voice is eight times higher, and I, I sound like a I sound like a kid, <laughs> so no one gets scared of me. But um, I am curious about this. Like, y- you see a lot of videos on on Instagram and social media now, and we were I was having a conversation with friends about this too, where People understand that, like, you know, typically a, uh, a police officer can't tell you to, like, open your trunk or open bags in, in your backseat, et cetera. Right. Uh, Fourth Amendment. Right. right? But y- you then get curious, like, if they do ask if I want to deescalate the situation, I should probably just try and comply. Right. That, that's a great question here. Is, yeah, if you're like, oh, it's
2: my Fourth Amendment right, I don't have to do that. But Then, yeah, you're, then you're worried that yeah, you're causing confrontation, right? Yeah,
1: you're, you're concerned about the confrontation, and in a perfect world, that should end it right there. But then that sends a red flag, you know, because, I, again, I'm a human being, and I start to go, okay, well, why don't you want me to? Well, I don't want you to because it's my Fourth Amendment right, you know, and it's an illegal search and seizure. Mm-hmm. So, But then what happens is, and I can tell you this from experience— is law enforcement we start going okay well how how can I get in there what kind of nexus can I do to get in there even without his consent and I'm not talking about illegally I'm talking about like if I smell marijuana or if I smell suspicion right yeah you have to you have to tie things together you can't just violate someone's civil rights and if you do that guess what you're going to be you're going to be held in front you're going to lose your job and you're going to get sued Mm. And, and rightfully so. In, in order to do this job, you, you're taught through the academy, you know, what people's rights are, and you don't want cops out there doing that. But what you said is getting back to your point. I, I, I would say no. I would just say, you know what? I, I don't want to come across, you know, in a negative manner. But you know, my I just my Fourth Amendment. I don't, you know, I really don't think you have a right to search my stuff, and I'd say no. I, and it's difficult because if you're recording, you know, and in, in this day and now age, is, yeah. in this day and age, I'd rec- I would record it. I'm, so, I mean, law enforcement's wearing body camera, and sometimes conveniently it falls off, you know, and you're like, well, how did that? You know, well, in a tussle, it, it does come up, mm-hmm. but sometimes it stuff comes up. Record it, record that situation, and and then. You know, again, these conversations that we're having, it makes me feel bad. I'm coming from a, like, I feel bad. Because Would you
2: maybe recommend to citizens to like record audio or record video? Like when they do get pulled over, maybe you just
1: put your phone and like. Probably without doing it in an aggressive way. Yeah, you're not way. like, like holding yeah, it like exactly. that. You just you just have it yeah. there. And not to just, es- not to escalate, like we said, not to escalate yeah. the situation to try and do, but to actually protect yourself and it's something that not a so it's not a bad idea really no 100 percent and you
2: as a police officer do you think you would like
1: be pissed off that the guy me no i'd actually be i'd be happy because sometimes when you hear some of the stuff that's said uh, yeah yeah again against against us some of the things that we're accused of the body camera uh, like when body camera first came out you had a faction of the people of law enforcement who didn't like it and then you had a faction who said thank goodness it's here because we're getting accused of things and it's like, now we have video proof that no, I didn't say that. No, I didn't do this and look at this person's behavior. So it's fantastic for, from my perspective. Now I can, you know, show my supervisor and, you know, show the judge, look, this is different than what this person's reporting it. So it's the same thing. I, I would say, you know, we all have smartphones. Absolutely record that interaction. Don't escalate it. Don't do it in a manner which, you know, you're going to, If that's, if that's what you're going for, then go, go right ahead. But then you're, you know, you're stirring the pot and then, sorry. No,
0: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you think it'd be a good idea to let the police officer know like, Hey, like I have my phone out, I'm recording audio, video, whatever, uh, as you know, whatever, just as a backup or as a proof of what our, you know, you don't have to say
1: this, but if you want to keep it kind of de escalated, say, Hey officer, do you mind if I, if I record this just for my safety and in your safety, do you mind if I just record this? And then by doing that, by saying that, mm-hmm. it, it's going to bring that, you know, bring the officer down. You know, I, I don't think, like, conf- I I never took that, you know, got my uniform on, got in the patrol car in hopes for confrontation. Just the, just the opposite. You know, you go in, you want to be able to help people. I, I have countless stories that I could tell you. At some point, I'll, I'll tell you a few of the good ones. But where I've helped people, you know, recovered stolen cars to, you know, for people who've you know that was her sole means of transportation, mm-hmm. and I was able to recover that car for that. It made me feel great. I was riding high for that. That's what you thought you signed up for, That's probably what, in the beginning. Yeah, we're gonna catch the bad guy. And yeah, few and get far that between. stolen yeah. car. <laughs> few and far between, but it was fun. But then there's, you know, it, it just comes down to I think each officer has to has to kind of look back and say, you know, look inside and and, and see what where you're at in this in in your career. Is this is this the career for me? Is this, is this is this changing me as a person in a negative way? Then, then you know what? Choose a different career. Go be a fireman. Everyone loves firemen. You know what I mean? <laughs> what right. about someone uh, just
2: like berating you? You know, you you pull them over, or you, there's a situation, and they just start just laying into you, and they're saying like you know uh, personal stuff, but it has nothing to do with you know has nothing to do with what happened like you 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 know you you are questioning them for something completely different i mean that has to be like aggravating and then it's probably a little difficult to
1: stick to like what you're supposed to be doing right that's a great point i mean i've had it happen i mean you know i it's it's difficult because part of you wants to you know handle it like you would on the street on the street without the badge but you know no you can't do that you're you're professional and you're trained a certain way and if you want to keep putting food on the table you're, you're going to treat this person you know professionally so you have to have that mindset um and is it hard absolutely do sometimes and you see these videos where sometimes these officers slip and they're just you know and 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 what what goes viral is, is that, is that right, guy doing right. that guy? doing mm-hmm. that? He just handled probably 15 calls. And then on his 15th call, someone set him off and now, he now snapped. and now he snapped. Absolutely. You know what? And it's like, dang, man, I just handled 14 calls. It was, everything was perfect. And now number 15, I, I, that switch got flipped and I just went full on full auto. And it's difficult. It's not, um, for me. I'm a pretty mellow person. It took a lot to get me wine, and it's like I had two older brothers, and you know we were and we're from the East Coast, so mm-hmm. you know we're used People to being
2: are laying on thick And anyway.
1: Yes, yes, we grew up that way. You had to have thick skin, and that's something that that job you need thick skin. If you're thin skin, that is a wrong job for you because you are going to get tested, and then you know what? When you do get tested you know it's going to reveal what type of character what type of person you are. Did
2: you so. try to did you try to talk to people a lot like ask them questions and say like even though you're suspicious or even though you thought you knew something did you say hey man like you know I'm going to search your car and like you may as well just tell me not like what's what's going on like we're going to we're probably going to you know we're probably going to find something or whatever your suspicion is did you really try to you
1: know try to give them the benefit of the doubt and be, paid, the, be patient with it I guess it's like an Easter egg hunt Mark it's one of the things you know doing that job when you're talking about like looking for drugs as far as methamphetamine or heroin or someone trafficking we're not talking the little baggy thing we're talking about you know when you, when you pull somebody over and you've done your homework and you're by homework I mean you've done a lot of time you know surveilling and doing things and you pull somebody over and you have you know probable cause to pull them over and then you can kind of smell that. Methamphetamine has a strong smell, and it's and it's something that I mean, once you smell it, you know there's meth in this car. Mm. You can hide it with. You, usually, guys try and hide it with a bunch of those trees, those yeah, Christmas yeah. trees, and you start to laugh, and you're like, okay. But as far as when you find that and you and you see that kilo, you, you, you get high off that, and you're like, man, I want. One kilo, okay. Now I want to build that one kilo into two kilos, and you come almost like a drug addict, where, you know, getting that, getting that first ounce that you found is that's no longer that's no longer part of it. Now I want to get the pounds, mm-hmm. but when you do that, and I and I did that, the danger increases as well because now you're dealing with people who won't think twice about putting a bullet in you, and and I experienced that.
2: Yeah, why don't you uh, you know shift gears a little bit here and tell us about. um you know, some of your, I guess, like, kind of major run-ins that you had?
1: Well, first, the positive one. I just want to tell you, one. we'll start off with a, a positive, if you don't mind. There was a, a pastor, one day, you know, could do my thing, jump in the patrol car and get a report of a stolen vehicle. Show up, and there's the pastor, Um, 70, you know, with his wife, and he's saying, hey, my car just got stolen. And I want to tell him, like, the likelihood of me recovering your car, sir, is, like one in a million i'm sorry you know i'm filling the paperwork out he gave me the description but something struck me that day i don't know what it was but i'm like i'm just gonna drive around in some of the shady areas like on the uh, out, outskirts where someone might go to hide a car try so about three four hours later i'm driving down highway 116 and off on the side of the road i see the i run the plate and that's the car hmm. And then as soon as I run the plates, I see two people take off running through a field. So I put it out it, and it starts blaring on my computer screen, stolen vehicle. And I have dispatchers yelling, you know, Edward, Edward 71 has a stolen vehicle and he's in pursuit. And I'm i in foot pursuit. And I'm running through fields. And I wound up catching these two guys, guy and a girl and handcuffing them, bringing them back. And that feeling. And, and then they got taken off. They got taken off to jail. I got to, and I got to return the car back to, I I went and picked up the pastor, brought him back, got gas for the car and, and I would do that for anybody. You know what I mean? That's the thing. That feeling that I got after doing that, that was, that, that that made my year. I was like, man, this is an incredible feeling. Next day I I show up to work and there's a big old plate of brownies that she had made and brought to the department. I'm like, man, this is law enforcement. This is why I took this job. You know, but then, you know, there's the other end of the spectrum, you know, the, the drug aspect of it. And, um, you know, I started with, you know, finding a little bag and then, it. you know, you would you would work your confidential informant and informant would order up some drugs and, you know, you'd pull that person over and you'd find the drugs like Easter egg hunting you'd look for, you'd find it and you'd get a, you'd get a high off of it. That's the best way I can describe it. And it went from a little bag to an ounce, then from an ounce to like a pound. And pretty soon, I'm working my way up into like multiple pounds. And and then we found, um, had an informant call me and goes, there is a large drug stash with rifles, guns, and they're selling drugs next to this little school um, in, in the town of Roner Park. And it struck a chord with me because I'm like, okay, you're dealing drugs and stuff and there's a school right next door. Um, that's not Okay. So I do my homework, tell my partner, I said, Hey, um this is a great project. Let's get a couple other guys and let's make this let's let's take this guy in. And this is this guy's a gang member, he's been previously deported twice and you know, been de- been in prison twice and just not your, you know, run of the mill, you know, nice guy. So we get down to the where I see his vehicle and I have a neighbor called in, said, Yeah, he showed up, he's inside. So we we do our homework. We find out that there's a um, probation clause to get in and he has a warrant for his arrest. So we have all the legal means to get into the house. So we set up on the house and of course, you know, you, you do everything the way you were trained. And in this particular incident, I felt like something was different. And they were talking about instincts and, and such, but the hairs on the back of my neck, when we started climbing those stairs to go inside, the hairs in the back of my neck just start popping. I'm like, oh, something's different. And I don't, don't, I can't explain why. I'll tell you in a minute, but you know, that climb up those stairs, something was definitely different. There was pucker factor times 10. So we go, we go in through, pardon my description, but we get through the door and hiding behind the uh, there's a little doorway, walk through it, and then there's a cracked opening. And I see this door is opening a nice signal to my partner we're quite we announced that you know sheriff's office coming in sheriff's office coming in come out come out no one's coming out I'm like oh we got to go in so i had heard that this person had um firearms in, and i'm thinking man, if he has a rifle that rifle's going to go right through my vest i'm i'm toast hmm. so i see the door cracked open and it's me coming in walking in and i just as i touch that door so as i touch the door it's called slicing the pie it's like cutting the pie. They want you to take angles to where you can see as safe as possible in case someone's hiding. So I'm slicing that pie, and as soon as I come around that, that little bit, I touch that door, and now was the train. He popped up from, crouched down and put the, um, I mean, it was a 9-millimeter Glock, and I saw a puff of smoke come out, and I felt this burning sensation right in the left side of my chest. I'm like, ow, that, that's burning. That's mm-hmm. the- he got me. And immediately I'm like, okay, if you got me, then I'm taking you with me. You know, you you're leaving with me. So then I return fire. We're we're gun to gun. And my round only a couple feet away from each other. Two feet away. And I saw the puff of smoke, saw the top of his head, smelled that, felt the burning, immediately got angry. Couldn't believe this was happening. I'm like, damn almost nineteen years on this now, this is happening. So then I, I returned fire my round goes through his hand and his second round whizzes by sorry whizzes by my head and hits a door frame makes a loud sound and then i my second round knocked him down and i get up and as i get up i start walking to it. i don't want to make sure i don't step in front of my cover officer so he doesn't you know i get shot by friendly fire so he's leaving and then you know, I follow, get out the door, and I throw, throw somewhere like a movie, you're throwing the rounds back, hoping it doesn't shoot me in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And I make my way out. And as I come out, I yell to my, I pull my vest away and I open my vest and I see that there's blood coming out and it's coming out pretty good. And I'm like, oh, damn, this vest is supposed to stop the round. So I yell to my, my buddy Joe and I'm like, Joe, hey, I'm hit. You can call an ambulance. So he's. He's excited at this point. I mean, obviously, he sees the blood and he sees me and he and why I didn't call for myself probably because I've I would have been screaming like a little girl on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, delegated to him, let him scream. So he he, he starts yelling on the radio for help. And um, shortly thereafter, the suspects he's stumbling out of the out of the doorway and I'm on the side of the door and I'm waiting for him to come out to see if he still has a gun in his hand. Well, he comes out and he has a gun in his hand. And right before I pulled the trigger, my partner starts shooting. And then, you know, he took him down. And then he comes over to me and he's like, I'm like, dude, where's the ambulance? I go, I'm not going to, I don't want to code here, you know, in, in this parking lot. Um, I go, if it's not here in a minute, I'm jumping in the car and I'm driving to the hospital. I'm not I'm not dying here. Yeah. He's like, no, man, don't, don't, don't go anywhere. You'll, you'll crash the car and you won't make it. I'm like, you yeah, got one minute. So I jumped in the car, I'm waiting, I'm keeping pressure in my and in my head I keep seeing, you know, my childhood and all these thoughts are coming through my head and I'm looking down at I'm like, that's ah, still bleeding, yeah, it's still there. So I turn the car over and I start to drive and my partner jumps over and jumps on the car. He goes, No, they're coming, they're coming. They're they're right here. So the ambulance, you know, pulls up and um code three to the to the hospital and the paramedic has the oxygen on she's looking down and she's looking at my vitals and she goes do you want me to call your wife and that's that was like a that scared me i'm like am i not going to make it is this the last phone call that i'm going to be able to call her and she goes i don't know i'm like i don't want to hear that <laughs> He mm-hmm. tell me yeah you're going to be okay go ahead and call and tell your wife you're going to be okay that's what i wanted to hear but i didn't get that mm-hmm. so i respect it you know she's you know just saying that and I go no I'm not going to make that phone call so I'll wait till I get to the hospital I didn't want to leave that burden you know that phone call hey honey I got shot at work sorry I'm yeah we don't know going. what's going to happen yeah five kids you know home, I'm going to be crying you know so meanwhile while I'm going to the hospital there's two deputies showing up at my house and they show up at the house and she answers the door and that's never a good sign and she's a police officer's wife so she knows when two guys show up it's not good news so she almost passes out, and they're emotional, and they're like, hey, Mike, I shot. We don't know what's going on, and so they rush me in, and the doctor comes in with the scalp. He's looking for the bullet. He can't find it. He's asking me. I go, I think it's in me. I go, it's bleeding pretty good. Maybe it's, it's in me. I don't know. He runs a ray over, and he goes, no. He goes, you're lucky. There's no bullet in here. You just got, um, you have a nice hole there. We're going to sew you up, and we'll, we'll move you out of here. So that oh, was, wow. was was pretty interesting, yeah. So where'd the bullet go? Is it was it did it like go it, in and it actually went in came out? Yeah, the way they say depicted was it actually went in, created the hole, and then the vest caught it and pulled it back out. So it created the hole and um, the whole left side of my body just black and blue, hmm. you know. And it's it's kind of weird. I didn't feel the pain. I was you in shock at this point, you know. I'm grateful at this point too. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be alive. I made it through this. You know, I'm thankful. Um, they had all kinds of crazy questions after that. You know, people like, well, how can you only shot, you know, two or three times? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's trade places. You know what I mean? You, you can't Monday morning quarterback a situation like that when you're in it and then someone's shooting back at you. Because you'll see guys at the range and they're like dead on perfect, you know, center mass. Well, that target's not shooting back at you. You know what I mean, and then when you get hit, like oh, that's the thing. I've got to talk to an academy class and it was interesting. They asked what did it feel like? And I said, imagine taking a hot metal poker and shoving that into your chest and leaving it there. So, and but the doubt of not knowing whether that was in there was kind of that was, you know, worrisome. Yeah. So,
2: did you retire like immediately or
1: did it take uh, a time little bit. for you to talk to your wife and figure out what you wanted to do next or um <laughs> my wife made that decision. It was The very next day, you might have been contemplating this anyway. um, Part of me, at that point, I was like, "Okay, um, I know this conversation is going to come up because I've had other incidences." And when she was saying, "You know what?" She was, "I don't know if I can take anymore." And to me, this was—I knew this was icing on the cake. But for me, the part I don't want to leave out though was I, I showed up to work the next day. And guys were like, what are you doing here? You can't be here.
2: <laughs> like, I'm on the schedule, dickheads.
1: <laughs> and they're like, no, you can't. You, can't. you can't be here. You have to go get cleared before you come back. And my brain wasn't working. You know, I was just like, oh, I'm coming back to work. I'm going to throw my stuff. You know, I need a new vest. I need this. I need that. And um, I called the vest company and I told them. And they put it out on the PA into the factory. And you can hear everyone clapping and stuff. They're like, hey, we got another save. So it was, that was awesome. You know, it was, it was pretty cool. So um, anyway, I showed up to work the next day and uh, people were like looking at me crazy. and like, uh, you can't be here. And I probably, they were probably scared. Like, What's he doing here? You know, what, what, what are you doing here? So anyway, they went back home, had to do some evaluations. Wife talked to me and she's like, hey, she goes, that's it. She goes, you have 20 years in. She goes, you're done. She goes, this is, she goes, it's either your career or, or I mean, you know, Or me and your, and your kids like, I already put you through enough, I'm sorry But it, it, it definitely affected me It definitely affected me psychologically And I think, you know, you go through the depression You go through the stress Some scary stuff that I went through uh, Standing in front of the bed Swinging a baton, you know, in, at an invisible You know, one night I woke up And I grabbed my baton I thought someone was in our room trying to kill us And I'm in front of that bed And I'm swinging that baton like a madman And I'm sweating and my poor wife is yelling and screaming. <laughs> She's like, "Wake up! Wake up! Wake up!" And so finally, I wake up, and here I am with this baton, and I'm sweating. I'm like, what? Ha- what happened? She goes, "You were just swinging that thing like you were trying, you know, kill somebody."
2: Mm.
1: And she goes, that, "She goes, you you can't be, you know, with her. So get rid of all your all your work stuff. Move your gun. you safe and your baton. And she you 'You're on couch duty for a little bit till you get squared <laughs> away.'" <laughs> So, she's a strong woman. I mean, she, I, like I said, like, I love watching stuff with you and Andy and how, you know, supportive she is. Thank you. And for me, it was the same way with my wife, Jill. You know, she's very supportive. I put her through a lot, and that job does put you th- you know, spouses through a lot. Uh, so, I owed her that. That was something that definitely I owed her. What did you move on to? Um, after that, it was um, caring for, I had a little special needs son, and I wound up, my bond with him grew... Ten times, tenfold. So I got to spend a lot of times with my with my son, Caden. Um, and then I, uh, one day, was talking to a psychiatrist because I had a lot of stress issues. And she's saying, she goes, you know what, Michael? She goes, your stress that you're feeling. She goes, you have, your brain is like a bucket, and you keep putting this stress in this bucket, and, you, and you're not dumping any of it out. And she goes, and that bucket's filling up really fast with you. You're on hypervigilant. You see things, and you go to a hundred. She says you got to find a way to dump that bucket out. So when she said that visually, I mean, it, it, it struck. Okay, it's spilling over into my life, and it's causing friction. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not the person that I was. I'm turning into a jerk. So, being a defensive tactics instructor and also being fitness, being fit during work, the shrink goes. Well, why don't you go back into the gym and go work out, work out your stress and um, take that avenue to dump out that dump out that bucket so I went into the gym started working out Um, I came across a friend a really good friend of mine his name is Pete haven't seen him in a a long time and he was doing some bicep curls with this with this board and I go I go Pete what is that he goes I'll check this out so anyway long story short he and I went he offered he goes let's go into business together let's turn this board into something and right away I'm like Mark Bell, slingshot, you know, watch the movies we've met, um, talked, you're humble, you know, super nice guy. And I'm like, man, let's put some work and put some effort into this bicep board and let's make this thing, you know, take off. So that was something that we worked on. It was great because I could put my focus, attention into something positive. How long ago did you start that? Um, That was, I don't say about a little over a year ago, Mm -hmm. two years ago. We went into um, prior to that. I was doing a little I dabbled in bo- you know bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Did a physique contest just to cross that off the nice. you know 50 years old. And it's like okay, I want to get a 500 pound deadlift, and I also want to do a, a you know bodybuilding show. So I'm like, what can I do? You have chicken legs. You're definitely not doing bodybuilding. Uh, so <laughs> let's go into physique. Board shorts are going to hide those for you. Mm. Not not well enough. <laughs> <laughs> they saw my my calves and it was like, okay. Um, good choice on the, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, went into, did a little, um, show with Hani Rambon, his show up here in Sacramento. It was fun. I put a lot of time, a lot of effort in it. And when I saw that you went into bodybuilding and you worked with Hani and how well you did, I was like, dang, that's stuff that I got to do next time. You know, and if I wind up doing it, but, um, the bodybuilding thing was great. Working as a mentor with young guys, young law enforcement, young guys, um, I'd like to mention there's a young boy, young guy, high school kid, his name is Sawyer, and he lost his dad of brain cancer. And um, my little boy's special needs, and he was, we were working out, we were doing sprints at a track, and this young man, senior in high school, Sawyer, was doing tire flips. And I'm looking over, and I don't know him, and my son goes running over to him and starts talking to me, and he's, and it's the cutest thing. And this 18-year-old high school kid is playing with my special needs son, melted my heart. So then I find out his backstory and it was like he lost his dad and you know, his mom's a nurse and she's an awesome woman, Kelly Thompson. And, um, long story, I said, Sawyer, why don't you come and, and train with me at my place? And I go, we'll train. And, um, let's get you, I see you doing here. You're by yourself. You're working out at my, my place and we're going to train. And the mom's like, how much do I owe you? And I'm like, you're kidding, right? And go, no, I go, no, I'm, I'm doing this because I like Sawyer. I like you. And, um, I was told to pay it forward so through some of the therapy sessions that I went through it was like pay it forward, you know Do something without asking for something back You know, it's, it's great to have you know, reciprocal You know people in your life But it's also, you know great when you can actually do something like what you're doing for me You know, it, it it means a lot to me and it's like the changes that you these little things that you can do the changes That you can make in people's lives positive things. It's what it's all about What You know what I mean, I mean feeling good and helping people man such a great feeling so i got an opportunity to do that he went on to san diego state when played rugby san diego state we still keep in contact when he comes back we, we train together and he's getting it it's funny because he was asking about law enforcement i go no going to fire and, he, <laughs> and, and he's he's going to be a fireman so um you know he he listened and um just a great young man and again the positive changes that we can meet, we can meet people and make positive things. It's going to make a better place.
2: I don't think we recognize how simple it is to help people. I think that a lot of times we think like, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, so I can't really help anybody. I think people usually think like it's just financial, you know. But like you think about the best like gifts that you've ever been given or the best like – I'm not really talking about like a present necessarily. But usually the best stuff that people give you, it, it's it's not – it's not heart. yeah it's not a physical thing i mean like you have kids like my favorite thing is when my daughter like draws me something and that's my card that's my birthday card like that's that goes way further than somebody just
1: you know buying me something stupid that i'm gonna forget about <laughs> right, right. <It> means a <laughs> in, lot. in three months or whatever you know 100 percent, and it's from the heart you know and that's the thing i think with people if you surround yourself with positive people and you want to make a positive impact um that's a really great thing and i think you like you do that and that's something that like in all your seminars and all your podcasts and everything you present this positive image and it makes it changes people's lives like you you didn't know me from adam and we cross paths and sometimes you wonder like well, you know why were we supposed to meet you know what i mean just like why did caden run up to that to that you know boy in high school why were we supposed to meet And I'd looked at it as like, you know, it's not a chance meeting. I mean, you can look at it that way, but I was supposed to be there. I met that young man. I I helped, you know, guide him. We worked out. Um, It was good for his mom to see him having a positive male influence. And she told me that again, you know, melted my heart made me feel good. And I think the more that we can do that rather than it's, it doesn't take that much more energy to be positive or energy at all than has to be negative
2: might take you a little bit of time sometimes right you might have to spend a few minutes with somebody or a little extra time here or there but um you know it, it's interesting because yeah you are like giving something to somebody you're not really expecting anything back but what you get back from it is you, you you get a tremendous amount from it you know and you're just not really maybe that's not like the main focus not the main reason you're just like oh, if i because if you think about it a lot of times other people have helped you somewhere along the way. You know, I think a lot of times people want to think like, oh, I'm a self-made man or I did all this stuff, you know, by myself. And we want to think that we're tough and we're badass. But somebody somebody let into your hand, you know, at some point. If you can just help somebody get, you know, just a little momentum in the right direction. I, I, think, uh, I think it's a great thing. And I think, like, I can't even think of a situation where it didn't come back and assist me in some way. Like, it always seems like it helps.
1: I agree with you. And that's something that like going back to coaching kids and, in sports and making that positive, keeping them off the street and they're here, they are playing, you know, sports are learning teamwork and they're also learning that, Hey, you know, we work together for a, a sole purpose of focus. And you're out there and you're coaching, you're spending time with them. And the other parents see that too. They're like, Hey, this, you know, deputy sheriff who has a family is out here coaching these kids and, um, spending time with them and, these are things that, you know, as far as making a positive impact in our communities, these are things that we should be doing. And, you know, I took pride in doing that. And, um, and that's why it's like I said, I have a great deal of respect for where, where you are now and where you were and, and the fact that you help people is, is incredible. You know, I'm curious to, to
3: see why was it that you encouraged him to go into fire instead? Because it seems like he, like he's a great guy. He would have been someone, especially with somebody like you who's been a cop, um, would have been someone who could have been a good cop. Why would you encourage him to go into fire instead? And then also, if someone does want to head into law enforcement these days with this climate, um, what do you think that they should keep in mind?
1: Definitely, if you get offended very easily, do not go into law enforcement. If you have thin skin, do not go into law enforcement. I mean, you have to have a really good demeanor. You can't be too high, too low. Um, it's it's not an easy job. I mean, it's not. I mean, some people can portray it a certain way. You know, I did that job. It's it's not very easy. It takes a toll on you. But young people, that's a really good question. I, I, I have to give it some deep thought because you asked why I steered him towards fire and uh, it's a joke but everyone says you know everybody loves a fireman you know what i mean when firemen fire and law enforcement have a really weird relationship um we tease each other but we respect each other you know and it's 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 almost like that brother that brother relationship where you you know you give them nuggies or whatever you fight with them but you're still your brother mm-hmm. so but everybody loves firemen I mean, when firemen show up to the house, it's like, fantastic. You know, you're not, you know what I mean? Thank you for being here. You're saving babies, you know, and stuff. It's, it's a, you know, incredible position. You know what I mean? So it's, for me, I like that young man and his mom, his mom was, went through a traumatic experience with her, her husband passing Mm -hmm. away. The last thing I wanted to do, like I would have felt horrible and, and it's selfish reasons for me. I would have felt horrible had I directed, because she knew I was in law enforcement. She knew what happened to me. And she still wanted me to, you know, mentor her son. And so here I am. And I'm like, well, let's steer him towards fire because law enforcement, it, it, granted, it, the odds are like one in a million. And I couldn't have won the lottery, right? I had to give Maddie why I'm taking a bullet. But with him, it was like, it, he could, maybe he would have made, you know, a great police officer, but I didn't, selfish reasons, I didn't want to. I didn't want if something was to happen to him and then I'd feel horrible that the mom lost her son and here and Indirectly, you know, I steered him toward that profession I mean, it still could happen in fire. I mean got firemen die and stuff like that But yeah. I just for me. It was that selfish reason. I didn't uh, I didn't want to put that on her and as far as the young guys going through the academy and, and, and things I do talk to them and I tell them you Right now you feel invincible, but I can tell you with a little nine millimeter piece of copper went into my chest and was burning in there, you're not invincible. I mean, I'm wearing the, the Superman shirt, but uh, you know what? Thank God for that vest. I wouldn't be here because that was direct placement. That have you know, I was smoked. Hmm. So not smoky, but <laughs> anyway, but um, it, the big thing is, I think I would tell them is that it's take it, do the job for the right reason okay don't uh, don't go into it just for the paycheck I mean the paychecks decent the benefits used to be fantastic they're they're not anymore uh, you're you're taking this job right now that you're taking this job in this climate like you just pointed out that's really really hard on these young guys it's gonna it's gonna speed their process up their learning curve is gonna be speed, sped up so so much because of you're gonna deal with a lot of you know, unhappy people in a short period of time, and so you know, you're either gonna you're either gonna find a different job or you'll learn a way to adapt with it. But it's a stressful job, and um, man, hopefully they come from a place where they want to treat everybody fairly. You know, and that's the thing. Like my parents instilled that. I watched how your mom and dad, you know, through the video, through the movies, how they raised you guys. My parents raised us, my, my me and my brothers treat people the way you want to be treated and that was like there was no my dad was six two, two hundred and forty 240 pounds and there was no way you were going to cross and you were going to make sure you were respectful and it for me it was yes sir yes ma'am the whole way you know i went to catholic school and then mm-hmm. after catholic school i i mean it was these things that were instilled in us and i think if more parents took an active role in their kids um and kinda of make sure and this goes for law enforcement too. I think you go in there. You be respectful. You know, meet somebody, when you come across someone and they're upset, de escalate it. Bring it down. Don't don't escalate a situation when you don't have to. And you need a lot of good you need you need good teachers in the academy, you need good officers on the street and you need good supervisors out there promoting that message. De escalate things. But you also have to be ready, you know, if something does happen like what happened to me? You mentioned
2: uh, you, you've had like extra training um, as a police officer, but in just being a police officer without seeking out any extra training, um, do they – Teach you at all about um, you know how to handle because you mentioned later on having all that stress. So they teach you at all about how to kind of handle stress or how to kind of almost deescalate yourself, like deescalate a lot of the things that you, you know, one day you're you're dealing with uh, you know a car accident that's real horrific, and the next day and so on. Um, is there any like is there any time or is there any teaching of like hey you know you, you we got to kind of clean out a lot of these thoughts and things like that?
1: Very briefly. Very brief. It's in the it's in the police academy. They go over some um, breathing techniques. So you kind of get it once. Type you, get, of you get you get it once, yeah. and then that's it. And then you you kind of hope that that stays with you. But it's very minuscule. Mm. You know, you're talking about a, a short block of period where you're you're under a lot of stress already. Because if you use if you screw up in the academy, you're gone. You're finding a new you know, career path. So to put that into perspective with somebody that we had on the
2: show recently at every 55 at, during the day at, you know, four fifty-five, five fifty-five, six fifty-five, <laughs> this person has in their phone to bring themselves down, to calm themselves down, to be mindful. And they practice breathing, you know, so that, that for that person, it might be uh, that, that example might be a little excessive, but this is a person that uh, just wants to succeed, just wants to be happy. Um, he doesn't seem like he has anywhere near the stress that a police officer would have. So in what you're saying, you know, getting that training just won't kind of a one timer, um we can just kind of see like that's just not nearly enough. And that maybe you know, trying to interject a little bit more of that obviously police officer is not going to be able to implement, you know, doing it every hour on the hour. But. Maybe once a you know once a week someone comes in and discusses it or a remind, reminder or maybe it's once a month. How, is there some scenario that you can think of in your head where police officers could get extra training? Like, do they have time for that? And, and you know, it seems complicated because you know, if uh, it, it pulls you off the street, kind of, you know, because I got to, well, not kind of, it pulls you off the street. I got to train you so you know did what was your experience like with some of that well you
1: you do a lot of firearms training a lot of firearms training and then you have to qualify this is i'm gonna make this parallel you 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 have to qualify with your firearm in order to keep your job i mean Mm -hmm. if you're not a good shot and the likelihood of you using your gun i mean granted it happened for did happen for me, but the likelihood of you using this, there are some people who go 20, 30 years of career and never had to, you know, shoot anybody. There's a lot of people like that who've never, you know, used a weapon. But you have to qualify all the time using your firearm. Like once a year or something like that? Yeah, sometimes it was even it was even more than that. You did have to qualify. Is that, is that common, do you think, yes, around the through, country? it is. So, it's okay. commonplace. So you have to be proficient in that because it's a perishable skill. Yeah. So... If you have to do that, why not qualify psychologically? Why not? If you're going to have the, you're going to do this job and you're going to carry that responsibility, which is that, you know, nine millimeter or 40 caliber gun. And some of these guys have AR, AR 15s, or Joe Biden would say AR 14. Um, the, you, <laughs> He's <laughs> always on point. <laughs> I, I had to throw that in there. Sorry. But anyway, um, why not have, if you're going to spend this time doing it for, firearm training and you're going to do that and make it a mandatory thing every year that you have to pass that and then there's not the likelihood that you're going to you know you're not going to use your gun that often yeah what are you using you're using your brain you're using your brain and what yeah. do you use more often on every call your brain so what's why not why not make that you know hey let you know what this is mandatory some guys are going to push back against it but you know what it's for the betterment of, not only is it a betterment for you, but it's also the betterment of the people you're serving. The community. The community doesn't feel safe. And that's that it. It should a, help with your home life, too, because you're not uh, bringing that work home and yes. so forth. And it's a sick feeling for law enforcement. Guys who are like, man, we're out there risking our lives and we got a lot of hate on us. And, well, let me see. If people come together and we come up with a solution that could help and the community likes it, why not back it? I mean, why are you pushing back against something that might might be helpful? So. Um, psychological, you need qualify psychologically. I'm sorry to say that. I mean, it's, I'm not, actually, I'm not sorry to say that. You should have to qualify psychologically. You deal with a lot of stressful stuff. There's, there's incidents that I deal with that pop into my brain, you know, that on a daily basis that happen. And I'm like, you carry that with you, you know, and you better learn how to manage it. You know? So I mean, that's a great point. I mean, definitely qualifying that way. Um, getting some help, I'm definitely spending more time, but yeah, absolutely make it a priority. How do you think the, from
3: generally, you, you know, you, you said you work with younger cops, um, how are they receiving on, on, on the receiving end of the whole police reform ideas that are going on right now? I know there are a lot of stuff that people are saying that are obviously super negative. Like uh, there's this thing going around ACAB. Yeah, cab. Exactly. Prob- I, I have somebody, I know that that is a friend, um but she's putting that all over her stories all the time i'm just like i don't know mark have you heard of acab no i have not all cops all are all bastards cops are oh. and that's that's like a big old sentiment that's going on right now on on the side of people looking for police reform which i just think is absolutely wow. stupid it's literally the stupidest thing i've ever heard if you're listening you know who you are you <laughs> mm. i'm sorry you're, you're you're i'm sorry you're really dumb but um yeah, sorry for using that word. That just pisses me off. But how do you feel on that end? Uh, how how do cops feel about you know police reform? Do most of the guys that you're dealing with feel that it's something that they uh, that that's good for for them, or are they kind of annoyed about it?
1: This is a, a great topic because um, the young officer Taylor for Roner Park Police. We had just finished work, working out and we were out by our cars out in front of the sand gym, and this black gentleman walks up and he's in his. Uh, late 20s early 30s he's a community leader but he has a long history criminal history in his background and i didn't know any of that but he saw the way we interacted in the gym and he kind of knew i was law enforcement but i know i didn't know he had that background and i didn't know he was a community leader but he comes out and we start talking and things started progressing and we start. and he started talking about law enforcement and community issues And we had a great conversation. This is with a young man. So this is my perspective, right? With a lot of experience. This is a young man's perspective, 25 years old, brand new on the job. And here's someone who's, he's been to prison. He's, he's had a rough life. He's, we're both Caucasian. He's black. And then here we're having this, you know, conversation and it's doing everybody good. And we're not, we're not a hundred percent. Right. But we're being respectful. like, I'm like I don't understand from your perspective, but I'm listening to you and I respect that. And I, I, I haven't seen my, I have seen friends get injured on in the job, but he's actually seen family members get killed and by law enforcement. Hmm. And so for him to actually be able to talk, and we we had a civil conversation, and and he he enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it, and we were like, why can't we get. These community members, community leaders and law enforcement together to sit down, and talk and see how we can kind of bridge that gap. Because there is a huge gap right now, right? So why can't we bridge that gap? Kind of have guys come together and go, look, this is what we, this is what our goal is the same as your goal. You guys want to, you want to be treated fairly. You want the community to be safe. You know, and that's what we want. We want the same thing. But uh, you have to respect each person's you know stance on that and maybe you know have a little compromise in between you know both sides maybe come in a little bit but when you have people spray painting a cab everywhere doesn't make me feel good doesn't make these young law enforcement officers it it builds that divide and so i look at it this way do you want things to keep going the same way is that what you want because that's what you're doing by doing that you're putting your message out there fantastic that's how you feel right and I'm not saying you don't have a right to feel that way. But if you want things to get better in the community, how is that going to help? How is that going to help? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's just going to, <laughs> that divide's going to stay there. Things are not going to change. And people always talk about, like, we want, change is good. You know, we want, we want things to get better. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah, I think you
2: just have to look at the different sides of, of. The story, you know, and you got to, you know, try to gain some insight or gain some perspective on it. And I, my son is 16 and he'll say certain things and I'm like, just, just make sure that that's true for you. That's all. You can say whatever you want, you know, but just make sure that you really believe in that, you know, cause he'll ask questions or he'll say something and I'll say, you know what, you should, that's, I understand your opinion, you're entitled to it. You don't have to think like I think, um, but I sometimes will tell him, I'll say, hey, you should probably look that up or you should look up this other thing because this is the other side of the story that maybe you didn't hear quite yet. And Then you could take both sides and then you can maybe you can figure out a way to kind of split the difference between, you know, what you originally uh, believed uh, with. And then you factor in some new facts, right? A lot of times people don't want to take time to do that. And they just they they. They get outraged, they get upset, they get fired up, and they, I think sometimes um, well, it's understandable. it's understandable for us. We, we're, we're humans, we're fallible. Um, we're going to be emotional at times. But if you can start to, if you can start to get, gain some insight as to like, why does that happen? or why does that continue to happen? Why is that like that? Is it tradition? Is it something people are being forced into? Like what is the situation? How do I learn more about it? What's knowable about a topic? And then once you start to gather some of those facts, uh, then, I think it's, then I think it's important at that point that you start to uh, communicate with other people how you feel about it.
1: Uh, you you hit a key, key word in that, was facts. As long as you base your feelings or your opinion on facts, actual information, I, I have no problems with that. If you come to me and you say, hey, this is, this is a fact and this is why I feel this way, I can respect that. You feel a certain way, like the person you were talking about that had the ACAB on there. They feel a certain way, and they're putting it out there. But is it is it really based on a lot of factual information? And if so, explain it to me in a civil manner. And let me let's yeah
2: let, us use the word use the word all. So right. you know, ex- just you know, let's let's have you try to
1: explain that. You know, seventy seven thousand law enforcement officers right. in, in the USA. Seventy seven thousand. It, it already have. seems kind of flawed. Right? So once you use an absolute, seventy seven thousand. You talk about the calls for service. They said there's you know three to five million calls for service that we handle. And then we're because we're humans, and there are some knuckleheads out there. Those aren't those are things are going to happen. But ninety nine percent of the of the law enforcement. Are good people. They just want to do their job, protect their community, and go home to their families. And so, I think one thing what I would like to see, and this is, um, I think if we had the community leaders in the the black community come to make say maybe um, um, an academy class and have somebody. I mean yourself. You're very intelligent. You're articulate. And I know when people use that word, they throw, oh, there's you know something behind it. No, there's not it's um you can communicate and i think what would be great is to hear from your perspective hey, when i get pulled over my heart rate races and there's a reason why i feel that way and there's a reason why my community feels that way and here are the reasons why and then these young guys coming on board could understand from you from the black community that hey what can we do to bring that down what can we do to de-escalate that situation to, to not You know, when you get pulled over, man, maybe it's my taillight or something, or this officer is not going to try and go through my car and look for, you know, look for something. Wouldn't that be, that'd be awesome, right? Mm -hmm. So why not get community leaders come into the, um, black community leaders come into the police academy and talk to these young officers and and explain to them, hey, this is why we feel this way. This, we, we feel horrible when we get pulled over, our heart rate's race, and we're not sure if we're going to make it out of this traffic stop. You know, and even it, and I know sometimes they, you know, you'll see a depiction in a in a viral video where you know things happen like that, and it's like that. There's millions of traffic stops and millions of times where things don't go wrong. They go, they go, well, You won't you won't hear about that, but you will hear about the things that, that did go wrong. But why not find a way to fix it to kind of get this new generation coming in, young guys like Taylor, these young academy graduates that are coming in. And, and teach them, go listen, do, do you want to have this discord? Do you want to have this you know gap that's out there or do you, or do you want to be able to you know, walk through the community and, and people respect you and you respect them and you, you pull somebody over and and their heart rate isn't racing. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean and they're not fearful. You know why how, how difficult is that? I think that's one of the that would be a great idea. You know, it is really weird, though, like
3: I think I mentioned this when another another officer is here and we were on the podcast, you know, with all the videos that we're seeing in terms of police brutality, even myself, I know that a majority of cops are not like that. I, I understand that I'm not one of those. And I don't believe that a majority of cops are bad or doing what some of these individuals are doing. But seeing that does even though I know I shouldn't necessarily be afraid because I know how to handle myself in those situations. It does make me more afraid. So when I see a cop behind me on the street, I'm just, I start to just be like, Oh shit. (laughs) Like it does start to freak me out a little bit, even though it is actually kind of irrational for me to feel that way. So it's just, if, if, if I'm coming that from that, from a rational point of view where I know all cops aren't like that, the individuals that are already having negative sentiments towards police, seeing that,
1: that's just going to strengthen that ten times more. Right, hundred percent. You know, and that's something that is, you know, how we can fix that, is having law enforcement when you know, the the education part of it, meeting with community leaders, learning how, you know, when you're when you're coming up on a on a on a patrol stop on something where you've got your probable cause and you address that person respectfully and. I guess again 99.9% of them do and every once in a while they call number 15 where that person says something and you flip that switch it's a difficult position but I definitely I know from my perspective I definitely don't want that person feeling that way I'd rather you be calm and like hey officer why do you you know and, and when I show up and say you know Deputy Frank the Sheriff so this is the reason why I stopped you whether or whatever and then you you, you know you communicate and and for me and I can tell you this from tons of traffic stops, you were respectful to me, have a good day, you know, slow it down, um, you know, to get that taillight fixed, whatever, ha- have a good day. So we both need to come from a, from a position of where, you know, you don't want to have that fear, you don't want that escalation and, you know, the cops need to do a better job in the community and Hustle needs to help us out too. You know, it has to be, it has to be both both coming together.
2: Where can uh, people find out more
1: about your bicep board? I have to uh, I have to give it a try. It's uh, bicepboard.com and at bicepboard on Instagram. So we're... I want to be part of a bicep board. <laughs> <laughs> right? You got to grow a little bit more. But yeah, I to you got to have like 22-inch guns for that, right? Yeah, I got to get those peaks going. So that's the thing is it definitely works the peak, it puts that tension on the peak. Um, I, Some people say, oh, genetic genetics. Well, you know, you can also find things that um, you can develop that peak you can you can get that bicep board and you can hit that peak a little bit harder um you put a little dumbbell in between there or you can go ahead and hit your um you can do triceps where we have you know it's multi-use board oh, that's and cool. um is it uh is it available yet or not just yet we are we are going to be making available that's my business partner pete with his giant guns and um you know we worked on it together, and this is the um, one of the finished products. And so, right now, we're we came out with the board. We're um, working on production right now. Cool. Yeah,
2: I'm excited to give it a try. Thank you. It's great working out with you today. Thank you so much for all your insight. Really, uh, really appreciate it. If you want people to follow along with anything that you're doing, uh, where could people follow follow at, you
1: at at BicepBoard.com on Instagram would be great. You know, and this is something we're starting to or, or new business, young, trying to make. You know, follow in slingshots and, and the Mark Bell's footsteps. So you blaze the trail, and we're trying to, you know, following that yeah. and, and and get things going. Awesome. Th- again, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it, thank Andrew. You. Take us on out of here, buddy.
2: Thank awesome. you Mark. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Uh, you answered a lot of good questions, and it was
0: just great seeing your your uh, your rational approach to everything. Somebody that got. I mean point blank range shot right in the chest you would think I mean you have all of the uh reasons to be extremely bitter and you're not and I think that's really huge and important and I think it was amazing the way you shared everything that you did with us today so thank you so much man oh, really I really appreciate,
1: appreciate it well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here i mean th- and thank you for that mm-hmm. and recognizing that because believe it or not that actually goes into my uh, so yeah. it sticks in my head I'm like okay mm-hmm. what why aren't you upset at you know when when you see somebody, say a Hispanic nature, that person, you know, try. I, I have so many Hispanic friends, and I and I and I love being with them. And I don't, you know, that, you know, our our your brain has to function a certain way. You know what I mean? And it's like why? For, for me, it's just about, you know, I want to enjoy life. I want to surround myself with positive people. I don't want to waste time being negative. Mm-hmm. You know, I I almost lost my life, and I and that made me, you know, just eyes wide open and said hey you know what tomorrow's not promised so you know let's live every day to the fullest and be a, have a positive attitude and that's something that you know that's my mantra so that's something that i stick with and absolutely thank
0: you awesome thank you thank you everybody for checking out today's episode uh, if you like it please reach out to us on instagram at mb power project or on twitter at mb sorry at Mark Bell's Power Project on Instagram, at MV Power Project on Twitter. My bad. My Instagram is at I am Andrew Z. And Seema,
3: where are you at? And Seema Yin Yang on Instagram and YouTube. And Seema Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter. Mark? At Mark Smelly Bell. Strength is never weakness. Weakness never strength. Catch you all later.